So what's this scene, George? What do we do? <laughs> so, okay, this is the scene. Get right to it. We, um, well, Jesse has no nonsense. I'm very, I'm <laughs> such a businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> right, cut to, cuts to the chase. The chase. I'm a very, I'm a very busy woman. Well, on this podcast, we talk a lot about George and Philip's relationship. Oh, I understand. <laughs> Segue in, into George's podcasts of other lifetimes. <laughs> Another thing that Jesse's been very much frequent, frequently uh, featured on. I'm going to kill you. A, class, a classic gay work. A classic gay work. <laughs> it should have gotten the Glad Media Award. Outrage. It's in the canon. That's for sure. Sure. Jesse and I were talking about, we were, I was walking down the street and I was recognized like three years after that podcast was over. Really, it was so nice. I thought that guy was so nice. Screaming yes. fan. So nice. Singular. <laughs> what kind of, what did he say? What did, how did he react towards you? Just a scream? Or? <laughs> no, he wasn't screaming at all. What did he say? He said, uh, I you know, he looked at you and he, he like kind of stared at you and he said, I'm going to kill you. And you were like, yes. <laughs> and he was like, bring it back. Bring it back. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get him on our mailing list for this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you sure. have contact information? There's our first audience. That's right. right. We're back. <laughs> we're back 10 years later or whatever. Jolly's back with new friends. Live from Philadelphia, you're listening to Corona, where three gay friends, each professors, creatives, and weirdos, talk with other queer and queer-adjacent creatives and personalities about anything they damn well like, from 80s pop culture to hypnotic sex practices, all while we're experiencing the COVID-19 pandemic. Season one of Queerona was recorded between March 15th and May 15th of 2020. So now lean back, relax, and enjoy. So hello and welcome to Queerona. I am George Alley here in my loft apartment in Philadelphia where crime is going down. And I'm here with my two co-hosts. Hi there, I'm Matthew Ray, also in Philadelphia, where air quality is going up. Hi, and I'm Philip, and I'm on vacation. <laughs> where are you? Where are you on vacation? I'm on an uncharted aisle. It is all like, you know, like a vacation of the mind. You know? I know, and we just sit here waiting for, for items to wash up in the, in the lagoon. Is this a swept away reference? Yes, clearly. <laughs> uh, that's deep. Let's introduce our guest today. He, <laughs> he is an icon of fame, fortune, the originator of the hot slut of the day. Wow. <laughs> he is someone who has written and interviewed many stars Forwarded the careers of thousands of drag queens, including Sherry Needles. Ooh. And is known throughout the country, not only for his expertise in media, but specifically in He-Man and She-Ra. And hosted a very well-known forum that debated 
Is your look more horde or rebellion? Welcome to this podcast, Jesse Murray. <laughs> Yay! Wow, our biggest star. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> Thank you for that generous introduction. <laughs> Wait, Philip, where are you? Because you're are you on an island? I, I am, yeah. What I what I is it like in the Pennsylvania River or like <laughs> in the Pennsylvania River? Where is it? Is there a, is there a river called the Pennsylvania River? I don't know. What's the big river? Um, <laughs> there's there's the, a lot of rivers. Susquehanna. The sus. The That's Susquehanna. in the middle of the state. Susquehanna. Susquehanna. I am on a tiny island in the Susquehanna. Three mile island. <laughs> yeah, the Susquehanna goes from. Harvard de Gras, Maryland to, or from Cooperstown, New York to down to Harvard de Gras, Maryland. I learned the other day that the seven castaways on Gilligan's Island were representations of the seven deadly sins. Yes. And that's a fun game because you can ask people like, who are your favorite character? Who's your favorite character? Then tell them who they each mean. All right. So let's start. So, Philip, who's your favorite character? Well, my favorite character is um, Mr. Howell, of course. That's why I wear this hat. Okay. George, who's your favorite character? Uh, Ginger. Understandable. Yeah. <laughs> style, style icon. Yes. Um, Matthew, who's your favorite character? Oh, gosh. Wow. I mean, if I was lying, I would say, like, the professor or Marianne. If I was being honest, I would probably say Lovey. Lovey Howell. Oh. One, I'm so with you. Mrs. Howell was the greatest. Yeah. Like, so what's her sin then? Well, so this is the interesting thing because apparently Sherwood Schwartz has confirmed this or was the one that actually said this. And from what I understand, Sherwood Schwartz said that Marianne is envy, that the professor is pride, that the skipper is wrath, is anger, um, and that Mr. Howell is greed. So that leaves. Ginger, Gilligan, and uh, Mrs. Howell. Ginger, I think, is obviously lust, although some homosexuals would argue Mrs. Howell is. Um, So that leaves, okay, Mrs. Howell and Gilligan as either sloth or... uh, Gilligan is sloth. Gluttony, I think. Yeah, Mrs. Howell's gluttony. Sloth or gluttony. So I think Gilligan is sloth and Mrs. Howell is gluttony. Wow. That's what I've read. That's what I've read now. Wow. I know, it's so deep. It's so yeah. deep. But you have to love the house because, like, I don't know, I love when they have, like, the country clubs and they, they build, you know, they sort of, they do build their own little world. I'm surprised that, remember how there was that wave of, in the, like, circa 1994 to, like, 1997, it was this move to make classic television shows from the 70s into movies. Mm, Billy's Brady Bunch movie, Get Smart, although that was 60s. I'm surprised that they actually never did Gilligan's Island. Well, it got the nod in the Brady sequel. It did get the nod, you're right. That's a very point. I always thought they were going to, you know. I am surprised. Because who knew that Tim Matheson, Carol Brady's husband, (laughs) was responsible for the... The, was the professor was the no he was responsible he was supposed to be responsible for the the shipwreck like he doctored the boat or something right 
It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it comes out. The way it ends is she confirms that he's the professor. No, the professor was her husband, and she confirmed that Tim Oh, Matheson and he, Tim Matheson impersonated him. Right, right. That's what it is. And pulled the, did something on the boat to kill them. Well, yeah. all, of our, all of our listeners now feel that we're shut-ins <laughs> based <laughs> on the fact that we just had a discussion about that, where we really just love Tim Matheson's career. Well, Shelley Long is in that. Well, two things I will say in response to that. Number one, this is conversations I have, like when you could actively like run down the MTA subway platforms and like correct. (laughs) Nothing to do with being a shut in. (laughs) Um, And number two, Shelley Long is incredibly underrated in everything she's done. True. 100%. George Alley, of course, is the world's foremost proponent of the 1987 classic, Hello Again. That's true. He he mentioned it recently to me. (laughs) (laughs) He suggested a project I was working on. He's like, you need to see Hello Again. Again. You should. It's so good. Matt is writing a script, and I was like, before you finish the script, watch Hello Again. It's important, right? You're gonna love it. Lucy Chapman had it all. A wonderful home, a handsome husband, a loyal dog. Unfortunately, she also had a giant South Korean chicken ball. A chicken ball that ended it all. That was a year ago. But thanks to her sister's magic. Something incredible's happened. Hello again. Lucy's come back. <laughs> From the dead. Hello, I'm Lucy Chadman. You're dead. Dead. D-E-A-D. Let's go say hello. <laughs> can't say hello. He was at your funeral. Uh, and George, you've always been a big fan of uh, Troop Beverly Hills, which is now just part, I think, of our culture. Yeah, but I think it's something that came later on. Like, it was, it, it had some kind of cultural impact later. I went to a, a screening of True Beverly Hills at a theater in Brooklyn, probably like five years ago, I want to say. And they had the director doing a Q&A. Oh. And like, this place was packed. And afterwards, the director like was mingling. And well, first of all, he was very like blasé and nonchalant about being the director of True Beverly Hills. He was like, yeah, Shelley was good. It was like, you know, I had a good time. It was fun. Um, <laughs> and I remember going up to him afterwards and I, wa- I asked her about Stephanie Beecham. Oh, my. I was like, what was Stephanie Beecham like? And he was like, very professional. He, <laughs> he was so blasé about the whole thing. And I remember being like, you created this extremely influential work. Like, true Beverly Hills will be more remembered than the bitter tears of Petra Von Camp. And you're like, <laughs> taking this as this like very blasé thing. I was like really outraged. Yeah, like he would well, understand his own. <laughs> I don't want to brag here, but I was served bagels by Shelley Long. When? Um, It was only a few years ago, but I'm trying to remember. It was at a Presbyterian church where my good friend Alex's wife was singing. She, like, was employed by this church to do music on Sundays in, you know, one of these fancy Los Angeles churches. So I was visiting. We went to see Elise perform. Went out to the happy hour, and there was Shelley Long with, the, with all these little bagels cup and little pieces at the table for welcoming, you know, newcomers. She had a reputation for being very difficult. She got a lot of bad press. 
she got a lot of bad press. Have you ever seen that interview with Bette Midler? No. Oprah? So after Outrageous Fortune came out, Bette Midler went on Oprah and a woman in the audience got up and just said, oh, I loved you. And Shelley Long and Outrageous Fortune, you were you were both so great. Would you ever got would you ever work together again or do a sequel? And Bette Midler with this like total frozen smile on her face was just like, no, I don't think so. It wasn't a really good experience. <laughs> just sort of dropped it at that. Wow. Let's insert that clip right there. Hi. Um, you and Shelley Long were great together in Outrageous Fortune. I was wondering if you guys were gonna work together again. I don't think so. No? No, I don't think so. Did you enjoy working with her? I, I, it was pretty rough. It was rough. <laughs> it was pretty rough. But she did a good job, I think. As it turned out, it was a very, very successful picture for both of us. And, I, and actually, you know, I have thought about, about working with her again. If the right script came along, I wouldn't mind. Supposedly, when Shelley Long was on this sitcom called Good Advice that I think was like very early years of the WB, Mm-hmm. That, like, the director couldn't directly give her notes. The director had to give her therapist notes, and her therapist oh, well. would give her the feedback. That's difficult. <laughs> that's, that's high maintenance. Yeah. That's yeah. Was that for the director's benefit or for Shelley's? Like, <laughs> good, good question. I'm sure she's easier than Faye Dunaway. Oh, Faye. What, what, how'd that happen? Oh, uh, yeah. An intense woman, right? She's intense. Tightly wound. Demanding. A crafts, craftswoman. Well, I would say her, her portrayal of Selena is one of the most important villains. <laughs> From Supergirl! Oh, my yes. God! Supergirl. Oh, talk <laughs> about doing it for the paycheck. That, <laughs> everyone in that movie. <laughs> She's so good. She's uh, who's her sidekick? That sassy, zoftig lady. Brenda, from- Brent, first of all, uh, Brenda Vaccaro, I love that she's described as zoftig, which is... Yeah. She was. She was all... Well, I, would, I would argue that in that movie, her she was just wearing really ill-fitting pantsuits um, <laughs> as opposed to being zoftig, but like... Yeah, I don't think she was... <laughs> she just wasn't like thin, I guess, maybe. She, yeah, she was like this normal American woman. Yeah. yeah. Fashion. But, oh my God, those two in that movie are like Ball and Vance, like Lucy and Ethel. They're just like... An amazing team. Classic comedy duo. Supergirl is an excellent film. Also, if you watch it again, it makes zero sense. It it was supposedly edited, like all those movies ran so long and then all the directors claim that the Salkinds, it was the Salkinds who produced those, came in and like edit it to pieces, you know? Well, we got to get it under 90 minutes so that it can be, you know, in the theaters and then be an ABC Monday night movie. So they edit it like chunks out. And then you can sometimes, because I'm, I'm in the comic book circuit and you, there's always like legends of like, oh, here's the, the missing 10 minutes from this or that, you know? They're always like, ooh. Like the, like the Nicolas Cage Superman? Yeah, well, that's the never, re- yeah, like little found footage or, you know, the original cut of this or that. The original cut, I think, is like two and a half hour. Wait a second. I think I still have the DVD. Let me go look. For Supergirl? No, Supergirl. They cut DVD. I think I have. Hold on. Yeah, they spent tons of money on it because it was supposed to launch another multi-million dollar franchise, you know, so 
He wrote big checks. Faye Dunaway paid for a lot with that. It's kind of a weird statement about... Um, Wait, what women, is a weird statement, George? Women, like, yeah, like, trying to move beyond your station. I feel like that's what Selena's wanting to do. Is, like, she sees these people who are, like, gifted this certain amount of power, and she is not allowed that, and so she attempts to, like, sabotage the system in some ways. Well, it's women independence then, because Supergirl is you know, a young, young blossoming woman, finally free from her parents' oversight and now just exploring herself and her sexuality. And, you know, it's, it's really about female power, the dark and the light. It is. And I think it is about, well, she's trying to move past her station in terms of the, in witch circles. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Remember how they had that weird party in her fun house and she was like, impressing them all by like twirling people upside down and like turning shrimp cocktail into weird creatures. Yes. So wait a second. So I do have this, the two disc DVD because the second it came out. Oh my God. Is here's all the featurettes to show that, you know, Oh, first of all, it's 20. This was copy 24,012 out of only 50,000. Oh, the director's cut is a, 138 minute version 124 minutes is the original version 138 is the director's cut and there's a making of feature that Faye Dunaway introduces oh my god she speaks and you know how Faye Dunaway like she always ends a sentence on an upswing Mm -hmm. she like at the beginning she says you will believe that a girl can fly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like sitting in this like weird like den with like a fire going mm-hmm. so it's actually everybody listening to this should go watch Supergirl again did we get Faye Dunaway on here just to ask her about Supergirl would she would she would, would she tolerate that or actually I think she probably would because first of all you've got a bunch of gay guys not asking her about Mommy Dearest some more champagne my dear Selena what are you thinking about such a pretty world. I can't wait until it's all mine. George has a question for how you were interpreting Selena's struggle against a patriarchal. Yes. Society. <laughs> yes. Yes. I see her as being sort of, it's kind of similar to me to the struggle of Montana Moorhead in Smoke <laughs> Dish. Yes. <laughs> Not respected. Not respected. I mean, I almost feel like Soap Dish is transphobic. Oh, it is. It is. It's transphobic. It's totally transphobic. It's my favorite movie, but it's pretty transphobic. And I think and homophobic. There's like a little homophobia in there too, if I recall. Is there? Yeah, like there was like, I'm not gay. Why would I be gay kind of thing? Like, oh, with um, Robert Downey Jr. Because yeah. Oh, it's when Montana Moorhead is exposed, yeah. Mm-hmm. He like throws up. Throws up, yeah. And then they're all dancing and they're partying at the end and she has to like transition back to a man and she's in dinner theater. Dead name. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. You can't, that's, you can't, wow. And we thought that was amazing. We clapped at the end of that movie. I, yeah. I I always turn it off at that point. Like, I don't like that part. The movie is the best movie, maybe, of the 90s. It's so good. 
Well, here's the thing. You can like, I, I, I feel like it's true of so many different movies. You can acknowledge that there's a element of it that is no longer acceptable, but you can still appreciate the whole movie. Absolutely. Matt is a fan of Soap Dish. Love it. Now, who's your, what's your favorite part of Soap Dish? Um, I, I like the interactions between the writer and the, the Whoopi Goldberg and uh, Sally Field. You know, like when they discuss writing things out of situations. What I want you to help me understand is making Celeste Montana's mother. Now, did Celeste have it when she was five, six, seven, when? Guess what? You'll work it out. You're a writer. What is this horse shit? I'm Montana's mother? Never. And you. Oh, and no. You. No, no, no. And I'm not. I can't believe that you would Don't write something like this. Don't start with me. I didn't I write it. He did it. And you. And you. I was under orders. So was Hitler. Oh, no. I don't mean Hitler. I mean the other guy. The Hamlet. other one. No, no, no. Pass. Eichmann. 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 Thank you. Eichmann. That's you. I was a soap opera fan. And so I'm always fans of like the writers and how they would jump over things. So that, that feels like the, the, the more soapy it gets to me is the more interesting. We need to have a long conversation offline because I worked for all my children of one life to live for 10 years. Oh, stop it. So there's, there's a lot we can say. I've always said soap dish is a documentary, not a work of fiction. Uh, I got I got upset at one point because I could not find enough backstage uh, information on the internet about soap operas. Like I was rereading the same, like I would look rereading the same old blogs where people are like, "Oh, was so and so gay, or were they doing coke, or what?" We'll have, long, we'll have a long, long conversation. Oh, that's good. That'll be a follow up. That'll, That'll be a follow up. Part two. Part, Part two. two. <laughs> That'll be for the DVD. Yeah, that's the, D- that's the DVD extra. That's, that's like 138-minute director's cut. Yeah, the Quirana, Matt, and Jesse for four hours talking about soap operas. I just don't think that, like, I don't think soaps in general get their respect because and they're really like an American form of, American and an English form of, like, folklore to some extent and yes. education and you know these were like people called them their stories you know yes. these well, I, I have to get home for my stories and they meant it these are their their stories that's a powerful we don't we don't say that about any media now we, no we, we don't that it's it's such an inch you're so correct and and the deridement of the medium really comes from two different things in my opinion Number one, it comes from the production values, which that sort of basis of soaps being cheap and quote-unquote terrible really, I think, really started to come to fruition in, well, they've sort of always been there. But the reality of that is, is if you're doing 250 episodes a year, I mean, they're, they're essentially... Right now, most shows shoot an episode and a half a day. Yeah. You know, you're not going to write King Lear in a day. Like, it's, they're memorizing 90 to 100 pages of dialogue. They don't even have rehearsal. Like, the volume that is need to be produced is, and the volume of pages that need to be filled. I mean, for any writer coming up with, again, 250 blank scripts, are facing you every single year. It's incredible. So you're going to have hits and you're going to have misses. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the production cycle, I think, has led a lot of people to assume that it's, 
inferior art, if you will. And then the second thing is it's totally based on misogyny mm-hmm. because these were stories in media that were intentionally created for women. And so therefore they've had a place in our society that has devalued them because they were, they were for and created by, in most cases, women. Women, right. So, I mean, I, I, the comparison I always make is soaps. I agree with what you were saying, Matthew. They're, I, I actually think of them as almost like mythology in a mm-hmm. sense of our culture. They're, they're such mirrors in a mythic sort of way of our culture. And the fervency and the fandom and the embracing of them that audiences have had, again, audiences primarily being women, although there's some interesting statistics about that, which I can talk about later, but it was always derided. You know, the whole idea of, oh, uh, housewife sitting on her couch eating bonbons, whereas we celebrate in this culture extreme fandom of sports, you know, which I would argue are myths of a different kind. Yes. But like you, there is no shame in being a hardcore Red Sox fan or a hardcore Yankees fan or a hardcore Mets fan and knowing the stats of every, of every single player and knowing who won each World Series and the standings of this and, you know, the RBIs of this person. I think RBIs is a thing. But if you actually want to actively tune into the Young and the Restless five days a week and can remember every single one of Victor Newman's wives – you're looked down upon. Right. Um, right. You can know the starting lineup of the Yankees. Yeah. But if you, if you can name, if you can name all of <clears throat> Alexis Carrington's last names or Susan, Erica Kane's, you know, husbands, you're less than something. It's, it's totally been, and I think it's misogyny. And I think it's like, for a while, it was very simple. For a long time, it was very similar with comic book culture and science 100%. fiction, fantasy, yeah. and horror in that the fans of those genres were castigated and looked down upon because they were seen as nerds. Juvenile. They were seen as juvenile. And first of all, the only time that they were talked about is they were, you know, quote unquote, guys that were living in their mom's basement. Yeah. You know, women that liked science fiction, fantasy, and horror were completely ignored. But it wasn't really, if you think about it, it wasn't until the last 15 years with the advent of the Marvel movies, Lord of the Rings, The Walking Dead, where genre culture became pop culture. Yeah. It's no longer shameful to love comic books. It's no longer shameful to love fantasy it's no longer shameful to say i'm a geek i'm a i'm a a nerd you know soaps i don't think or what i'm going to say is quote unquote women's mediums i don't think have been granted that it's really it's 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 interesting when you think about it but also have you thought about writing about this well there's 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 a couple amazing books that have by incredibly smart people that talk about this. But you're incredibly smart and you worked in it. So you could like combine the, what you saw working in with all of this cultural analysis that you're providing, which is really interesting. Well, flattery will get you everywhere. I feel more. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe who knows, but I am, I, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating medium, but that said, soap dishes, a documentary, not a work of fiction. It's interesting 
yeah, I mean, I think with comic books, I stopped uh, reading comic books in ninth grade because I like didn't like the association of reading comic books. I felt like now I'm cool and now I'm listening to music. I'm like, I'm into the cure. And I was like, this is all like something that a child does. And I put it all away, you know, and I had thousands of them. Yeah. Did you do that, Matthew, as a comic book fan? Um, no, I really kind of, um, kept with them for, for, I, my dropout of comic books was probably my college years when the most intense pressure to fit in or be something new or different happened. You know, like my high school, I was kind of like an eclectic little bit of a nerd and, you know, drama and that kind of thing. And so comic books were not terribly... I wasn't a jock, um, so it didn't it didn't hurt there. But then when I got into college and I became more gay in the '90s, that did not fit in the gay identity at all. You know, okay. you didn't go to a circuit party and say, "Have you read the latest Green Lantern?" No, <laughs> no. you know that wasn't like that was the gay culture was even more denying of geek culture actually by that point. And so then it kind of took a little while until I like, you kind of go back to your hobbies and then, and then it became cool for all of us probably to expose every part of our closet. Right. You know, okay. I'm always a gay man and now I love soaps. You know, I love this stuff and I love that stuff. And it kind of, that kind of transformed. And now I look at it and try to figure out, you know, these the, the, to your point, what part of that mythology am I still using in my life? You know, what, what part of the stories, you know, is it the Dark Phoenix saga or the Judas contract or, you know, Death to Superman or, you know, like what, the, Electra Lives? What, which, which comic book story is, is influencing me or in that way? It's interesting, like, when I think of soaps, right, and I think of, like, Dynasty... I'm attracted to it not because I'm interested in the story, but I'm actually, I'm just interested in like those actresses and what they're wearing and they're the, like the retorts, you know? Yeah. I also think if you look at classic soaps like dynasty, it's literally the forebearer of a lot of what Ryan Murphy does, which is put amazing actors and actresses in rooms in like drawing room dramas with, like accentuated ridiculousness so that there's just so much like camp arch bitchiness wittiness yeah mm-hmm. well you could argue the precursor dynasty was melodramas of the 30s and 40s with like Bet- betty davis and joan crawford and yeah. absolutely 100 percent. Mm-hmm. yeah and you have that and i think you know you that you have that like i think people love to watch dynasty clips now and don't care why Alexis is at the top of the steps. I've shown my like, people I work with who've never seen Dynasty, like the best of Alexis clips. And I'm like, so this used to be on TV. <laughs> and and, and they see this fabulous British woman throw furs over yeah. the balcony. You kind, of, you kind of can't, like sometimes if you just kind of distance yourself from it, if you know it, you kind of can't believe that it was on television because it was so fucking over the top. Like it was, it, it, it was so gay. 
it was no gay without being gay. And yeah. you, I think the opening credits for the Colby's season one are possibly the, the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, with the helicopter? With the helicopter comes in and the sweeping music. I find them relatable in a way I don't find anybody on TV relatable. Like I, I see people like Sable, Colby, or Alexis Carrington, and like I see finally some representation of myself that I don't see. <laughs> Please edit in a mental health PSA. <laughs> we fear it. We laugh at it. We scorn it. We think it's shameful. But these are misunderstandings. Misunderstandings that will fade away if we see mental illness for what it really is, a medical disease. A disease that can be treated if you just know where to turn. For an informative booklet, call the American Mental Health Fund. I guess at the end of the day, we all want to tell somebody that we own all their oil tankers, you know, or I bought all your oil, I bought your tankers at one, 10 cents on the dollar. Like you want to say that? Yeah. I don't even know what it means. I don't know who I would say it to. I have just bought your ships at auction, Alexis. What? For 10 cents on the dollar. I don't believe it. You once asked me what I wanted from you and I said everything you've got. Let's consider this the second installment, Alexis. And just all the accents and the makeup. I'll counter-sue you into oblivion. I'll counter-sue you into oblivion. Oh, he's so great. And then, you know, you go to Denver for the first time and you look around and you say, they lied. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like, uh, it's like Pittsburgh and queer as folk. Yeah. (laughs) God. I mean, Alexis wouldn't even have a layover in Denver. Come on. When was she living there? (laughs) It's terrible. She might be living there now. Now Denver's funnied. You can help support Queerona Podcasts by sponsoring us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Queerona, where there are several tiers of support where you can assist us with our production and bringing new voices for season two of Queerona. There are three tiers of support. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! What are you doing? There are four tiers of support for Quirona. Our first tier is a $15 shout out. Our second tier gives you all access to all of season one immediately at $40. At $50, you receive that plus the shout out and. For those who really want to support us, you can get a luxury t-shirt designed by collage artist Toby Celery for $100. So Jesse, tell us about um, something that we should watch or listen to during this time. Okay, so here's what I think everybody should watch and listen to. Do you guys know the Clue VCR mystery game? Yes. Yes. Do you fill up more? I do. I own it. You own it. What about you, Matthew? 
I do not own it. I do know of it. I mean, I own one. I assume it's, there's only one you're talking about. Oh, there's about. two. I own one with like, there's, and it's got the extra people. Monsieur yeah. Burnett and Madame Rose. Do you have the one that takes place in the mansion? Yeah. Okay, so you have the first one. Okay, so for anybody that doesn't know what these are. Mm-hmm. So in... 1985, when VCRs were still fairly new and just being massively introduced to, really they were available at scale. And so most houses started getting VCRs and that's when video stores started opening, et cetera. Parker Brothers developed this thing called a VCR game. And the first product that they rolled out in it was a quote unquote VCR mystery game version of Clue. Basically what it is, it's the most insane thing ever. What it is, it's an hour-long tape. It's on YouTube. And then they have four additional suspects that were introduced for the first time here and then eventually became uh, playable tokens in the board game. Monsieur Monsieur Brunette, Madame Rose, Miss Peach, and Sergeant Gray. Basically the premise is all of them, for various reasons, get stuck in Mr. Body's mansion for the reading of Mr. Body's will. And over the course of the hour, the story is basically them trying to, in various ways, inherit his fortune, which involves all these various schemes, which sometimes means like trying to kill each other and like blah, 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 blah. It's like the most fucking convoluted game ever, but the actual story, like the the hour-long play in and of itself is completely and totally insane. And I would argue is almost as quotable as Clue the movie. Wow. It's done by all these, it was shot in Massachusetts where Parker Brothers is headquartered. So it's all, it's all local Boston theater actors. Uh-huh. Half of them have terrible Massachusetts accents. Uh-huh. Green is like, yeah, Lyman Green, I'm in a business. You know, I have my cars outside. It's so insane, completely nuts, but was really successful. So then in 1987, they did a sequel called Clue to Murder in Disguise, where like the 10 suspects go on the run all with each other to like Burma and then (laughs) Morocco and then to Paris. And it's like completely insane. Both of them are on YouTube. You can watch them. Remember this morning when I showed you my birthmark? You've got one too? Get to the good part. Uh, it's, uh, it's coming from Brunette. That's Body's voice. I was killed in the billiard room with the lead pipe. And the murderer is... <gasps> so what about you guys? What are your recommendations? Well, I have two recommendations. And one of them we really discussed already in detail, which is season nine of Dynasty. Mm. So perfect. Very important probably one of the best seasons of Dynasty and the interactions between Sable Colby and Alexis Carrington are really bar none in terms of just representations of human life and the experiences that we all have when wanting to interact with others. Familial relations. Familiar relations. Fun fact for those that don't know is the Carlton Hotel, which Sable buys from Alexis and was featured in the last three seasons of Dynasty is actually the set of the movie Clue. Stop. Dynasty, yes. yeah, go watch it. Dynasty purchased the movie set from the movie Clue 
and refurbished it and made it the Carlton Hotel. If you, it's the whole layout. That's amazing. My other recommendation is Mystical Chat with Nancy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Which is a very important regional television show, Belmont, uh, Massachusetts regional television show, um, where this woman um, has random people on her show and sort of assesses, uh, asks them about themselves and sort of makes these sort of broad generalizations. Uh-huh. In the late 90s, mid 90s, um, on one of these shows is a young Jesse Murray where he is told uh, important facts like cats love the rain. <laughs> wow. Unfortunately, George, this is not commercially available. <laughs> I just looked it up. <laughs> and it is. <laughs> it is? Yes. I have a, a bit of info for Aries, too. But before I get to that, what I want to do is um, do our trivia. Whose birthday is it today? And this person, of course, is an Aries. And um, I'll give you a little hint. It's a he. And he starred in two movies, one of them being Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand, and the other one being Dr. Zhivago. And he was born in 1932, so that makes him 65 years old today. And actually, he's one of my favorite. He's really, really cute. And um, so if you know who it is, call in. And tonight I have a surprise. Whoever gets the trivia correct is going to receive two quartz crystals, okay? So I went on this. This was a public access show for a local psychic outside of Massachusetts. And I caught it on public access once and I called in and she was like, she was so nice. And she was like, I'm going to have you on the next one where I do my Gemini check because you're a Gemini. Yes. So sure enough, she called me a month later and invited me on the show. And it was me, her best friend, Debbie, and this girl named Ala, Ala, as she said, who was like a nanny and was like really into Rent, the musical. And... The best part about it was they, Nancy and her best friend Debbie had the thickest Boston accents you've ever heard. And so at one point, Debbie read the traits of a Gemini as from either Nancy Goodman's Sun Signs or like the local paper. And she wrote, and she was reading it out loud, and she just said, Geminis are very communicative and love to socialize with people. True? True. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Ray, what do you recommend? Uh, I encourage our faithful listeners to um, follow on Instagram Meg's Stalter. That's M-E-G-S-S-T-A-L-T-E-R. She is um, an amusing young influencer creating cutting-edge, irreverent comedy that I think feels good as well as shows us a little little bit of a light into how we're behaving right now or how we should be behaving. I'm intrigued. I think I shared with you her video. She did this ridiculous video a day ago of her kind of uh, doing a Earth Day. They have given to me. I love Earth Day. And guess what? You need to be loving it too. You need to be loving it too. By the, by the way, we're all in a garden, right? Why don't we enjoy it for a while? 
Life's hard. Get a helmet. And when life gives you lemons. I think Philip Morris disappeared. He left. <laughs> he was too upset. He was- well, I think he would choose Miami Vice season two or perhaps Miami Vice, the Sheila and the Sheena Easton episodes. <laughs> All right. Good night, guys. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye. You've been listening to Queerona. Queerona was hosted by George Alley, Matthew Ray, and Philip Moore. With editing by Paul Schuler. Theme song, Undivided Attention, by George Alley. Available on iTunes. To support Queerona, please go to patreon.com backslash Queerona. Queerona is available on iTunes, automatic.com. Queerona.